Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Jennifer Wolf, and joining me is co-host Dusty Jones. Hey, Dusty. Hi, Jennifer. So today we're talking with Paulo Tan. Paulo is an assistant professor of STEM education in the Department of Educator Preparation and Leadership at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. His research focuses on advancing intersectional justice in and through mathematics education centering disabilities. This includes analyzing the experiences of multi-marginalized knowers and doers of mathematics, along with their intersectional identities and oppressive forces. He served as a public school middle and high, uh, secondary mathematics teacher for 10 years in culturally and linguistically diverse settings in Kansas and Indiana. We're talking with Paulo today so that he may share some of his experiences in math teacher education and in his work in humanizing disabilities in mathematics education. Welcome, Paulo. How are you? Hello, I am doing great. Yes, so thank you so here. much. Yes, so happy to have you here and um, have this conversation. So can you take a minute to introduce yourself beyond what I already shared? Like, what did we miss? Yes, I, I'm Paulo Tan, and I think an important aspect of who I am and why I do this work is that I am a parent of a disabled person. And throughout the journey from Kevin, who is the person I'm speaking about from kindergarten on to now, and he's just about ready to turn 19, we've been experiencing lots, uh, as you can imagine, issues with school and particularly with mathematics education. So that's a big part of who I am and the work that I bring. I'm also a Chinese American. I am an immigrant to this country. I, uh, my family and I arrived here when I was about 11. So I, I grew up as a multilingual learner in schools and was, as I think the experiences of um, some immigrants that I was, I excelled in mathematics or I thought I excelled in mathematics and, uh, and really liked the subject a lot. That's also a big part of who I am and why I do the things that I do. Thank you, Paulo, so much for sharing that. So I'm curious, how did you get started teaching math teachers? I think I was pushed into it. <laughs> and this is really interesting because I actually entered a PhD in math education program based on several factors. I, I was in the classroom as, as a then secondary math teacher and, and became really dissatisfied with my own math teaching. I, I knew that I was missing quite a bit of skills, knowledge, and I felt like I needed to know more. At the same time, my then partner suggested that I, I become a medical doctor. <laughs> and I was like, why? And um, my partner was like, well, they make a lot of money <laughs> and because uh, she was working at a, as, at a, at a hospital and, and got the privilege to um, know a little bit more about the salaries of folks. And, and so uh, my partner, my then partner pushed me into the medical doctor field. And I was like, well, maybe that's not the field I want to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually, I could be a doctor in another field. And so that was a compromise. Uh, at, that, at, at that time, I also was teaching as an adjunct at a junior college. 
And so I really liked that work as well. And, then, and I applied to be like a full-time faculty person. And, and essentially, I thought that I got rejected because I didn't have a doctorate. And so I'm like, okay, I, I need a doctorate just to also be able to teach at, you know, a potential um, new career, if you will. And so those three uh, together came came together and and then I uh, went to Dr. Susan Gay as as a, <laughs> as a, a big person there at AMTE and because I was at the I, I did my undergraduate at the University of Kansas and, and as well as my master's and, and Dr. Gay was the the math educator uh, at the University of Kansas and I went to Dr. Gay I was like hey I want to enter a doctoral program in math ed and and can I get into it at the University of Kansas or KU? And she, uh, she was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh, okay. She's like, go east. <laughs> and it, it's kind of like that uh, because she was like, I think there are so many more opportunities at the University of Maryland, University of Delaware, uh, Penn State University, University of Georgia, and and it was, I mean, it was just amazing, like, what math ed was offering back then, and, and probably still is for doctoral students, and so I got the opportunity to, uh, you know, travel there, to visit, to learn more about math ed programs there, and so all that is to say that I actually ended up at the University of Georgia um, as a math educated um, doctoral student, and and I, I actually didn't really know. I mean, I, like I said, I had something in mind, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do when I get my PhD. And then I got to work with Chandra Oral, who um, at, at one point pulled me in and said, okay, let's let's work on uh, professional development for math coaches. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 I was like, okay. <laughs> I, and I, I couldn't offer much. I, I was like, I, I was a math teacher. I don't know how to uh, work and support other math teachers. I I I need support myself, and so that's kind of how it started. In many ways, that I was pushed in to work with math teachers, and and then I continue actually my doctoral program at Indiana University, and there I met Sina Kasberg, who also I think pushed me in, like okay, these are the courses you're teaching, and these are courses to work with math teachers and again I was like you want me to work with math teachers so that's how it started I was pushed into it but I'm really happy that I am where I am just based on all of those experiences well that's wonderful and we get to learn so much about the work that you do and to hear the journey that you've taken to get to where you are now is just really beautiful um What's kind of the like the best advice you received when you started teaching math teachers? Because it sounds like you kind of went a, a bunch of different places and got to work with a lot of wonderful people. So what's some of the best advice you you received when you started doing this work? I think an advice is really, for me, like an embodiment. So how I, I mentioned folks like Chandra and uh, Sina, who really embodied this, again, this cultivating way of being um, and shaped, I think, who I am and also shaped what I could pass on to others, like be a cultivator of who they are. 
And so I think this embodiment also works the other way in that I, I worked with Sina at the time I was just like, and Chandra just amazed <laughs> uh, on, you know, the knowledge, the deep depth of knowledge they possess. At the same time, they were like, I, I want to learn from you. <laughs> and I'm like, again, like, you want to learn from me? Like, you you have all this body of knowledge, all, all these <laughs> um, just strong skills, if you will. Um, and, and so that embodiment, I think, is really important for us as math educators at any stage uh, in our journey. Uh, because we we want to be cultivators, as well as at the same time be cultivees, as as being able to learn from others, as being able to be shaped by others, and so that humility, as well as the the way that you know folks throughout my journey have have been those I, I feel like cultivating um, who I am. And again, without me even knowing <laughs> that I could become something or that, that I had that in me. So again, that as I feel like many of us express that imposter syndrome, I, I felt that throughout, like, I feel it sometimes as well currently, but I think when there are folks there in the math education community who are there to cultivate you and also reciprocate that, I think that is I think an embodiment that I, I feel like it's a it's a great way that we are and we operate as a community. Yeah, I love how you you think about it as embodiment that that idea that like we're here to learn like from and with each other. So how do we cultivate and honor the best in both of us and learn from one another? Um, that's just beautiful. Yeah, that is great advice. I love that. I love that advice. So when you think about your work in um, mathematics teacher education, what's one word you'd like to offer up that helps you center the work that you do with math teachers? So often we don't get a lot of time with math teachers, right? We might get a semester, we might get a summer during professional development. So what keeps you grounded? Like what's a word that kind of centers you in the the work that you do? I would say the word is resistance. And so I, I think that teachers and students enact at, uh, resistance in their daily practices. And, and sometimes you may not name it as such. Um, and, and so in the coursework that I do with prospective teachers, it, it is a lot of them will say that we are going against the grain. I mean, I, I love how they sum it up for, for me. Like, and I'm like, yeah, that that is what we're doing in this class. We're, we're challenging systems of oppression. We, we're practicing anti-ableism. We're practicing anti-racism. Uh, we're going against dehumanizing ways of doing mathematics, like that only focus on procedural direct deficit ways of, of thinking about students and teachers. And so I, I really think that word resistance really captures um, my work with prospective teachers in particular. And, and I would say my scholarship as well. Yeah, I love that resistance. So it's it's embodied it's embodied throughout the work that you do, both in the classroom and in your scholarly research work in the writing that you do too. So now, what advice would you offer to someone else starting out in this role in working with math teachers? I think I will kind of circle back to what I said earlier, in that there are a lot of things as someone who's starting out that you bring, that you will bring. And so be 
open to be cultivated as well as um and and just um being okay with that like okay finding you uh, a place you want to be uh finding out more about you are developing more about you are so i think that's important there are so many amazing folks in our math education community and you know making those deep connections i think is really important being able to connect as as i think i've done for um, the work that i do with folks throughout the country just under and we are like in many ways we we are not a large community um but i think it's important to make some of those connections and really support one another um as that embodiment that I shared earlier with being a cultivator and a cult V. Yeah, it's really, it, they're gifts, right? And being open to receiving those gifts from others, but also giving those out. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of the story that you told earlier about how, when you were, I guess, were you teaching in the state of Kansas or in a, in the yes. Lawrence area or where, where were you at? I was in, actually Kansas City, which is about an hour away from Lawrence. Yeah. So I grew up in Kansas City, Kansas in Wyandotte County, actually attended Sumner High School. Um, and uh, so you're, you're saying these words, I'm like, oh, yes. So <laughs> that's ringing bells for me. But um, when you were looking for a doctoral program, one thing Susan could have said is, yes, come here. We need more doctoral students. <laughs> Stay here with us. But But instead, she decided to help you you know, point, she decided to point you to others and see what else is going on. Um, and uh, I just, I see a great thread coming through what you've experienced and how you've described this as, you know, helping students also see where they fit in to the community, what they can bring. And, and that doesn't mean that everything has to come from, say, from, from me, uh, but I'm, I'm giving other people some ways to help themselves grow. And if I don't have those resources, then I can say, well, but look at what these other people are doing. Um, get, learn from them. So that's really great. Yeah. And and I, I see that so much in, in my current work as well as we are constantly pushing <laughs> or pointing or supporting our students in, in so many different ways. And it's I think it's very amazing that how things just not just, but it, it works out in, in ways like things happen in, in ways that we we can't anticipate. I mean, I think that's maybe a a, a story of life as well. Mm -hmm. Like one thing leads to leads to another, and and then we are the ones that are now in the position that we are doing what Dr. Susan Gay did mm -hmm. and in directing folks to a place. And I actually met with Dr. Gay this past MTE and, and we just had this conversation and and oh, she wow. remembered the conversation we had. I'm like, you remember that? She's like, yeah, I remember telling you go somewhere else. <laughs> and, and she was like, it looks like it worked out really well. And I was like, <laughs> I think so. And she was, you know, just so gracious and, mm -hmm. and, and generous. She's like, you're doing some amazing work. And so it was just really nice to mm -hmm. connect with Dr. Gay after all these years, all, you know, the journey that we've been through that, um, I, I think that's, I think, speaks to the community that we have here mm -hmm. and how we are supporting each other and, and how things work in, 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 in sort of a cycle in many ways. 
So Paulo, how do you uh, set boundaries and priorities to get the things done that you need to get done and, and in, still enjoy your life? What I like to do as, as much as possible is to dictate my own schedule. So and one thing that throughout my experiences and I've I've been through, and I think you capture well, a journey mm -hmm. uh, for pretty much all of my life. And so at one point, and this was a few years ago, that um, and, and some of you may may not be familiar with this, but when you work for certain organizations, they have like access to your calendar. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. they will schedule things for you. Like, <laughs> oh, I see an opening here. We're going to have a meeting at this time. And, and so like as like I could be in both areas, I'm like, that's I feel like that's kind of invasive for me but I mean that that was a culture like that's how we work like we need to set meetings and so this is again for uh efficiency sake that's how we do things and I I really dislike that and so I'm now in the position where I have my calendar back on my mm -hmm. own like no one knows and that's good because then I could say this uh, uh meetings yes no I have time, but I'm not going to schedule a meeting here. So mm -hmm. I, I, I want to put as much of that control, if you will, on me. Like I want to set that. And, and I know like that I need this. These are, these are my access needs, right? I, I need time to do some activity, some physical activity. Uh, and I will do that. So there's no worry. Like for me, like I will get what I need uh, with family, with activities with other things and and everything else for me at this point in my life is works <laughs> around like my dedicated work if you will or my actual job revolves around <laughs> the activities so that's you know it doesn't always work out nicely there are always overlaps but as much as possible that's what I try to do yeah, that's a good point that you bring up that because there are some organizations where it's just and I, I know in the business world, they do that a lot, right? Here's this, here's this time slots, they're open. And so people just schedule you. And it just reminded me of when we have our calendar, just because you have time doesn't mean you're available yeah. physically, emotionally, like, so sometimes we need to block out those times, because even though the time is there, and that calendar is open, you may not be available for that. And that's, that's okay. Like you, you may need to do those things, but it definitely helps to have control of your calendar. Yeah. <laughs> to be yeah able a to lot. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can you um, talk a little bit about your work on humanizing disabilities in mathematics education? So my work, I, I'm going to credit a lot of my work to Sina Kasberg, who um, I mentioned earlier, who really uh, turned me into the field. So my journey turned me uh, from math education to special education. And so I actually, my degree is actually special education. Um, and, and Sina started off as my advisor and continued and, and ultimately became um, a member of my dissertation committee. And, and Sina really turned me to this field of equity in math education, which at, at that time I had very little knowledge of. So folks like Danny Martin, Rochelle Gutierrez, and Rico Gutzing, I mean, I was like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? And, and, and so that really 
made this turn for me, like from like this, maybe I would say traditional mathematics education to like this work in the field of equity and, and, and how that is a whole different world in many ways. And so that's, I, I would say how I turned into this idea of humanizing disability in mathematics education, because at that time, again, I was really immersed in the field of special education, really working within a lot of those paradigms, a lot of those uh, behaviorist, positivist, uh, medicalized paradigms. And then the equity work was was not, did not have much about disability, although Sina did work with another former doc student um, uh, who, uh, whose name is Gina Borgioli. And Gina did some really awesome work with ableism in math education. So I think those, um, that work uh, that Sina had with uh, uh, Gina and, and the work of equity in mathematics education, as well as at the same time, again, in this journey, um, I was working with somebody um, who had a strong disability studies and education focus and, again, turned me from the special education focus to like a disability studies and education. So all those um, experiences converged for me in, in how it became, right, this idea of humanizing disability in mathematics education. So uh, the person I, I, I just mentioned with disability studies is, is um, the name is Kathleen Kintorius, and she was another, I think, cultivator. Like She pulled me into like a, the Great Lakes Equity Center, which is a federally funded equity assistance center, um, and, and Kathleen has a lot of a strong orientation toward disability studies. And so all these ways of how all these came about. So yeah, that's my work with humanizing uh, mathematics education. And, and I, I would say that the work is really in, in, in really straightforward terms. It's really about calling out the wrongs um, and righting the wrongs. And so here I, I'm evoking Octavia E. Butler in, in in how that is the work that we do. And so that that's essentially what humanizing disability mathematics education um, is about. Um, and, and that these wrongs are, are systemic in many ways and, and manifest at various levels, such as at the individual level with forces of ableism, for example. Um, and humanizing disability mathematics education is also, for me, it's a human rights issue. Um, and it, it extends beyond math education and it involves and it's for and it's with and it's by disabled folks. So I think it's it's anti-ableist in nature, it's intersectional, and it's very intentional about centering the full range of disability. So I, I feel like in math education, we've had a lot of focus on one kind of disability, which is learning disability. Uh, and we haven't had too much attention on, again, the full range of disabilities of, for example, not only the 13 categories that exist in schools, if you will, um, but those that disabilities that go undiagnosed or disabilities that are, are fluid in nature. So I think that range is a, also a big important aspect that we as a field need to take and consider. So yeah, that's that's humanizing disability mathematics, calling out the wrong and righting the wrongs and 
Um, I think right now I'm also thinking about dreaming <laughs> as as another step as it's as as dreaming with those who are more marginalized as how that can inform our work as well. Like what's possible if we just kind of like tear down existing structures? If we wanted, what would that look like? Yeah, and going back to that that word resistance. Right. And going. So when I think about your work in humanizing disabilities earlier, you talked about how um, you have a child with disabilities and um, and then um, special education wasn't really your focus. Like you didn't have that kind of throughout before you got your doctorate. Right. So I'm curious as to like now seeing all this scholarship and then being one of the scholars that's doing this work. How has that kind of informed the work that you've done, not only with teachers, but just with your family? I love that question. It's interesting because uh, I, I was sharing the journey, and you know, when when I was teaching math at the high school, and I I mainly taught what was interesting is I mainly taught in remedial f- courses um, for the most part. That was where I think in the district I was teaching, they were like, "Well, you are you're young, you're male." this is where you could go to help us and you would be great. And so I'm like, fine, let's, let's see what's, what happens. And, and, and I actually really enjoyed it. And, and what was interesting is that I think a lot of math former teachers and current teacher will, will uh, understand the, the math one, uh, which is the high school equivalent of the lowest math that you could possibly have. And, and that is, for for the district I was working with, the everybody who you know struggled with math, so-called struggle with math, and, and so you had 9, 10th, 11, 12 graders in that class all together. And that was also the inclusion class. So you had students with disabilities. Oh, we want to include students with disabilities. Okay, let's include them here. So I like love that class because of the students um, that I got to engage with who were, of, of course, not thought of highly mm-hmm. from the school's point of view, um, but I got to work with them. And so I, I I connect a lot of the work of special education to that experience of, of like, this is what it means, both good and bad of being included. And so when I became a parent, I, I, I felt like that was, you know, something that we can do a lot better with and I wanted my um, child to experience that in school again a a a, a improved version of that uh, understanding the, the processes because as a math teacher I remember attending IEP meetings and and just really not having much input just being there signing off and and that's the experiences as as I I've learned um, in in my research of a lot of math teachers and so. And so my question as, as, as a parent, as a researcher is, is like, what, what can we do as math teachers to um, push for better inv- mathematical learning environment for students with disabilities? As, as you mentioned, Jen, as, as, as that, that was gonna be, that was going to be my experience as I was going through my doctoral program, knowing that in the upcoming 12 years, um, that would be something I would be facing as as a parent so that yeah that came together and in, in reading this different scholarship on inclusive education on mathematics equity 
I was like, we could do this, folks, right? Let's let's try it. And 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 then that was very naive, of course, of me to to think that way because then the force is like, no, <laughs> that is not possible here. We don't do this. And so that that for me became a a, a big part of my research. It's like, why can't we do this? How can we do this? What can we dream about for the thriving of all students? Because when we miss folks in our mathematics community, not only do the folks that are missing out in the community, but but those who are in the community, if you will, are missing out mm-hmm. on that brilliance that is not there in conversation. So that that to me is how it comes together in 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 some way. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um... Yeah, a lot of the work that you all have done has made me really think about. So my sister um, has a disability, and it it was at a time where the students were in self-contained classrooms in another building, usually in the basement, mm-hmm. right? And then her junior and senior year, they decided, okay, well, we need to make things more inclusive. So now we're going to put you in what they called mainstream classes, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just a shock to the system, right? And then I the work that's out there and the research that you all have been doing and um, has given me a better language and a lens to mm-hmm. understand like what it must have been like for my sister and to have these conversations with her. And then it's just opened it up to like the different ways that my sister was not viewed as capable and the ways that I see her as capable and the, the way that she is mathematically gifted that just wasn't seen, right? And so I really take to heart a lot of the work in ableism and thinking about inclusivity. And sometimes inclusivity isn't what's best sometimes mm-hmm. or what they need. So how are we talking with our students? Like I think about um, one of your articles on um, thinking about the rights of presence, right? Mm-hmm. That that co-authoring. So when you brought up IEPs, like what role do students have right? And your role as an advocate for what they feel they need, right? And it becomes a conversation about what would my individual education plan look like if I had my voice shared as, as part of that in that work to try to try to humanize disability and, and mathematics learning. Yeah, I, I think what you said there about inclusive education, that that may be the goal. And even though we we are far from that goal, that even if we do have inclusion for everybody, that we still have a lot of work to do. So what you mentioned there about rightful presence, I think is really important to shift our focus that we shouldn't just talk about inclusion because inclusion is it's like problematic in many ways if we talk about rightful presence and the brilliance, the inherent brilliance of everyone who is rightfully part of that community then it's it's a very different conversation in how they author for example their rights so yeah i i i agree with you there and thank you jen for sharing that experience as well yeah and we'll definitely link in the show notes the the work that you did um with like Catherine yay and daniel reinholtz uh, in your article rightful presence in times of crisis and uprising in equity and excellence in education, and then the work that um, on rightful presence that you did with Erica Mason, Alexis Padilla, in mm-hmm. that work for um, practicing teachers. Um, 
Yeah, I just, I love that framing of the rightful presence because it feeds right into your work in humanizing disabilities. And I recommend everyone go out and, and read those articles. And when we invite you to support us in thinking about rightful presence, because we've been thinking about it. And we're, I mean, rightful presence is, is, is not something I coined. It was something I, I, I drew on from science educators, Angela Calabrese Barton and Edna Tan, who, who've done a lot of work with rightful presence. And so what we're trying to do as math educators is try to see what, what does this mean for a field? Mm -hmm. What can, how can we expand it? Uh, and also include in center issues of disabilities. Cause I think that is something that I think in, initially it was not the intention of rightful presence, um, but we see it as something that can be central to the tenants of rightful presence. So we invite others who, yeah. who um, uh, want to share and, and, and want to be part of this work because we, yeah, we as a community, again, we, we would love to learn from you. Yeah, I think it's a great framing for thinking about in your work um, with mathematics teacher education, educators, right? Um, our pre-service teachers and service teachers, like as a general kind of framing of like, how are you, how are you developing the curriculum that you use in your courses? And then go back to your word resistance, right? So who does this include? Who does this not include? Whose voices are we centering? Who are we not centering? And it also made me think about connections to uh, the Torres rights of the learner and the work that Crystal Kalanick Craig is doing. And so making connections between rightful presence and method and then the Torres rights of the learner. Just getting getting me to think about those things. What? Um, well, then you took up yeah. the invitation there. <laughs> I just took up the invitation. I was like, hmm. Yeah, so seeing some connections around that, yeah. that work. Love it. Very cool. So what resources would you recommend for those interested learn to learning more about humanizing disabilities in mathematics education? Uh, wow, there, there are quite a bit. So I would say two resources that are, are a little bit broader. So not, not specific to math education, but helps me. And I, I use it quite a bit in, in my work. And so this is uh, Subini Enema and Deb Morrison's 2018 article. The title of it is Discrete Classroom Ecology Using Praxis to Dismantle Dysfunctional Education Ecologies. And so this, this I think if, if we think about the three areas, I think you mentioned one already, Jen. So curriculum, pedagogy, and relationships or solidarity. So those three areas are central to this idea of like dismantling. And, and again, what does that mean for mathematics education? So we, we started to do some work around this application, if you will, and how we're conceiving of that. And, and hopefully that article will be out soon. Uh, so that's one resource. I think it's been very helpful for me um, and, and the work that I do. The other one, I, I'm going to go broader here and kind of go outside the field of education, is a book that I read. You might be familiar with Sammy Schalk, and the, the title of the book is called Body Minds Reimagined. And so it really takes a very cultural, historical view of disability and a future <laughs> view of disability. Uh, as we talked about here today, Jen. And so I think that is a book, again, that has me really thinking a lot about disabilities and and, and this idea of dreaming uh, of what's possible. So those are uh, resources from outside the field, if you will. The, the book that I co-authored with 
Alexis Padilla, Erica Mason, and James Sheldon. This is a 2019 NCTM book, Humanizing Disabilities in Mathematics Education, Forging New Path. That's something that I, I spoke about quite a bit um, in this podcast and the work that I've uh, been building from um, and, and thinking more about. So I, I think that's a great resource for folks to to just kind of get into who who are just trying to see what what is Paulo talking about when he's uh, calling all these things out? And, and I think the, the Journal of Ur Mathematics Education 2017 article, I co-wrote that with Sina and I shared the story about how Sina helped cultivate who I am. And, and that article really came out of, what was I'll share just a, a story about that. That article came out of an NCTM proposal that was rejected and I was, you know, I was a doc student I was like I'm going to submit your NCTM and Sina's like yeah yeah let's do it uh and 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 she's like this is great you know this is how Sina is like this is great uh it got rejected but that's okay you know we could do something else with this and and so it, it, you know when I after a few years I kind of circled back to that and and I asked Sina you want to co-write this article she's like yeah I do and so this is the 2017 article that was published in June, Journal of Urban Mathematics Education. It's, it's titled Calling for Research Collaborations and Use of Disability Studies in Mathematics Education. So uh, that's another article that um, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I just recently reread and I was like, yeah, that, there, there's some great things that I think um, I could still pick up on it for me. Um, even though I co-wrote it. Uh, and then there, there are some amazing folks that are doing some amazing things in the field. So I would, just to name a few, that these are folks in our disability justice PMENA working group, folks like Catherine Ye, Joni Wilson, Alexis Padilla, Rachel Lambert, Jessica Hunt, Katie Lewis. And we have many, many outstanding doctoral students in that group as well. So uh, Katie Westby, for one, Afir Ramiro, Alexa Lee Hassan. I mean, again, I'm not naming everybody, uh, just kind of a sample of the many outstanding folks and works that um, folks can follow up with. Okay, and you mentioned that uh, this was a PMENA working group. So for the folks who are part of PMENA, there is a working group that focuses on disability justice. Yeah, this is an awesome group. And we just resumed this group this year. So this group, and uh, all are welcome to attend and be part of this group. Uh, we started this group, I think it was 2016. It, James Sheldon and Kai Rands started this group and reached out to, I think, Rachel Lambert at that time and, and me. And again, I was like, why, why are you reaching out to me? I, what do I have to offer? But but again, that became part of this cultivating embodiment that I, I shared earlier. So that group started 2016. We did some really awesome work. And then I think we took a break. And then we just restarted it again this year. And, and we, we had a, a great group this year. Again, lots of folks. We, we've done some great things. And we again, are, are doing some activism beyond, like we're trying to embody the, the work of disability studies, uh, disability justice in, in thinking about, just for example, like accessibility at, at conferences. And, and so these are some of the issues that we are taking on as a group. And, and we have a lot of interest. We have a lot of uh, great folks there. And, and I, I think we're doing some really amazing things as a group. Wonderful. Is there um, 
anything else that you'd like to share with us or um, just have us put on our radar, like to promote, like, do you have any talks coming up or some folks or organizations or anything that you'd like to give a shout out to? I, I would say like, just going along with the theme that we've been sharing today and having this conversation with is, is this idea of being a cultivator, a champion. Like you, you, you may not, for example, join the disability justice working group and that's okay. Um, but, but then you, you still are cultivating the work. Like for example, Jen, you, you and, and Dusty inviting me to this podcast, right? You, this is a cultivating the work, mm. you're championing the work. So whether it be like a podcast or a, NSF panel or a journal reviewer, like you are cultivating this work, you're championing this work, you're, 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 you're supporting the work of equity at large um, and everything that all the intersectionalities that is encompassed in equity, including disability. And so that I think is part of, for me, the charge of the community to, to do this. Uh, uh, a lot of the issues we face is the opposite, which is people shutting down the work, saying this is not this, this is not enough of this, this is not enough of that. And so shutting down the work is like, for me, is is like unpromoting the work, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I think that we, I think we all have been dependent on folks um, who have done this for us. And so I, I think that's for me is a, a call to to be that cultivator, to be that champion who've, who've always been there and continue to to do that. Yeah. So keep on cultivating in the face of going back to your word resistance, right? So we're facing a lot of resistance in society right now with a lot of legislation that's coming out. And so we need to keep pushing back, right? And cultivating. Um, that's beautiful. Well, Paula, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. We've learned so much from you, and I know our, our listeners are excited to um, enact and take actions on some things that you shared with us today. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and in interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know that AMTE has another podcast, the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Math Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss the work they've submitted for publication to the journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.